Good morning, everybody. Oh, welcome to those of you joining us online. It's, it's so good that we can gather both in this place and together wherever you're at. Uh, we are wrapping up a series in Jonah. So if you haven't been with us, uh, I guess for your sake, we'll do a quick recap. Actually, it's for all of our sakes, because whether we've been here or not, we forget. So it's a good reminder, right? But, but we've been looking these past four weeks, looking at Jonah, right? And, and uh, you know, when we think of Jonah, we think of a big whale or fish, right? And that, that's what comes to mind. But we, we look through that Jonah chapter one, God sends him and he runs instead and gets tossed in the sea and is saved by getting eaten by a whale. And then chapter two, he repents. And chapter three then goes to Nineveh. And, and so we pick up today, chapter four, wrapping up uh, this, this short little book. I think most of the chapters are like 10 verses or less. So it's, it's fairly quick reading, but it's good stuff. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start today reading through Jonah chapter 4. So if you guys want to grab your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 4. If you've got your own, great. If not, there's Bibles here in the seats in front of you in the building. And uh, Jonah chapter 4 can be found on page 754 if you want to flip there quick, right? Because it's a small little book, so sometimes those are the hard ones to find because like one page it feels like and you're past the whole thing. But Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Right, now, whenever we start a chapter like that, you always kind of got to go back and remember exactly what, why, what, what, what happened that caused Jonah to be angry and upset. And so again, we remember Jonah chapter 3. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. He preaches a message of repentance, right? He tells him Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 60 days, but the whole city, right, king commands everybody to, to fast and pray in, in the hopes that God would relent. And God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and he relented and did not bring on the destruction he had threatened. So that's what happens, right? God saw the change in the people of Nineveh, that they repented of their evil ways, and he did not send the destruction on the city. And so then we come to chapter 4, and that's where Jonah didn't like it. So again, verse 1, but to the, Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Isn't that a sweet prayer? Right? Is this how you pray? Right? God, <laughs> why? This is, this even says, God, this is, I didn't just ignore you back in the story in chapter one. Like, I tried to stop your will from happening. God, this is, I knew this was going to happen. I tried to put an end to it, but you still did it. Why don't you just kill me? Hey, that's his prayer. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. 
Right, so Jonah's response, he gets upset, so he goes and sets up camp outside the city. I remember growing up, I had a, a, a picture Bible, and the picture for Jonah chapter 4 showed like this cliff and a little guy sitting at the top of it. Jonah was sitting on top of the cliff looking down at the city. Right, and I, I can still picture that picture. Right? So he goes out there, and he sits down hoping to see some action, right? hoping to see God wipe out the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Such a happy man. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And, and that's it. It just ends. Jonah's, Jonah's done. The, the story's over with this question. As I've been reading through this and thinking about this, man, I, I, I keep... Thing, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that, God, I wish you just left this chapter out and, and Jonah ended with chapter 3. Right? Jonah goes to the city. He preaches. They all repent. The, the, all the people within the city turned from their evil ways. And so God relented and did not send the calamity that he had promised or that he had threatened. The end. Happy story. But no, we get Jonah chapter 4. Or maybe be good if there was a chapter 5 where then just kind of God wrapped up all the stories. Like, what did Jonah do? God asks him this question, like, why are you so worried about this plant that sprang up and died? You did nothing to it and it, and it was here, but you're all upset about this. But you're hoping that this city full of people and animals just gets wiped out. Where's your compassion? And that's it. We don't know what Jonah did. We don't know how he answered God. Did he go and be like, oh, God, you're right. I, man, I, I'm... I've been so foolish and, and go home and live happily ever after. Maybe Jonah just was like, well, I don't care about you. My plant was awesome. And so he just lived out the rest of his days in a tent next to a city. We don't know. And it gets frustrating, right? Because you're like, well, well, so what are we supposed to do with this? What do we do with the story of Jonah? That's what we're going to look at today is like, what can we learn from this, right? Because God tells us that everything in his word is given to us to, to teach us, to show us how to live, but also to show us who God is and what it means for us to follow him. So that's, that's our goal and our prayer this morning is that as we dig into this, this passage that, that we start to understand a little bit more of who God is. So as we get started, though, I think the thing that we have to address first off, because it just it's glaring throughout these, these 11 verses, um, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in this chapter, we see that Jonah, I don't know how to say it nicely, he had a bad attitude, right? To put it nicely. Jonah's grumpy. He, at three times he prays and says, I wish I was just dead, 
and he's mad. He gets all bent out of shape about a plant. So what, what's going on? We, we, as we look at this, if you remember back, if you were here three weeks ago when Pastor Matt started us off on the series, he talked about the fact that Jonah's unique in, this, in the Bible, right? All the other prophets, as we read about all the other prophets, who were they sent to? They were sent to the people of Israel. Right? So the prophets were to go to Israel and tell them, hey, look, we're supposed to be following God and look what you're doing instead. The prophets' jobs were to call the people back to God. But Jonah is sent to foreigners, to people outside of Israel. So he's different. The other thing that clearly is different from the other prophets is, is Jonah's attitude. Right? Lots of the other prophets wrestled with the hard things that they were told to do, right? I mean, as you read the prophets, you see Elijah, whose life is constantly at risk as he speaks God's truth and King Ahab is after him trying to kill him. And you see, Elijah, you see uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah told to, to do hard things, and they do it. Ezekiel had to do strange things and, and was obedient. But Jonah is told to go and send a message, and he runs the opposite way. And you look at, again, just to review these four chapters. In chapter one, God gives him a message, and he doesn't just ignore God and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. He heads the opposite way. He gets on a ship heading across the sea to get as far away as possible. And then when God sends a storm and he's thrown overboard, God sends a fish to rescue him. Again, probably better rescue methods that I would choose, but God sends a fish. And in the midst of the fish, chapter 2, we see Jonah's repentance. But even his repentance, as Pastor Rouse talked about as we, we looked through that chapter, that, that it's laced with this, this spiritual pride. Right? God, I, I, I'll do what you want and others will forsake you, but not me. God, I, I won't. I won't fall away. And then in chapter 3, when he obeys and goes to Nineveh, he puts in as little effort as possible. Right? We look at that last week. He walks into the city. It's a city of 120,000 people. It says that it takes days to walk through it. He walked around for a day saying, 60 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That was his message. It's almost like he didn't want people to hear it. And yet, in, in spite of that, the entire city repented and changed their ways. And now we get to chapter 4 where we see a pouting prophet arguing with God about why 120,000 people should die and, and, and my little plant's dead too. So as we look at this, this grumpy prophet who's arguing, here's, here's the question that we have to start out with. And it's this, is it okay to argue with or be angry with God? Is it okay to argue with God? Is it okay to be angry with God? Is it okay to question God and what he's doing? Because you see, that's, that's something that, that I, my, as my parents taught me and raised me up and tried to teach me about God, this is something that they didn't teach me, but I think I learned on accident. And the thing I learned is that you don't do that. And I think the reason I learned that is because all the prayers I saw examples of, right, when I would go to church or when we'd be with friends or in Bible study or things like that at youth group, our prayers were always like, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Would you help with this? Those were the prayers that I saw examples of. And I didn't see examples of people saying, God, what are you up to? 
God, why? Why are, why are these things happening to, to the people I love? God, why, why are, are my friends suffering? God, why do I have to go through this? What are, what are you up to? God, you promise great things. You promise good things, but, but this world that we live in is fallen and messed up. God, what are you up to? Did you, did you forget about me? And yet those kind of prayers are all through the Bible. As you read through Psalms, David continually offers prayers like that to God. He says, how long, O Lord, will you wait? God, he questions God's timing. God, you're in control, but did you forget about me? You see, as you read through the book of Jonah, you see Jonah arguing with God. You see God, him questioning God. And although Jonah has a bad attitude, what's God's response to him? Does God get mad at him? He's like, how dare you question me, Jonah? Don't you know who I am? No, God, God responds with questions. You see, God's, God's not put off by our questions. Now, let me be clear about this. It is okay to wrestle with God and ask him those tough questions. You see, God doesn't get mad when we question him, when we, when we wrestle with him, or we're angry with what's happening. You see, he doesn't get mad as he invites us into a relationship with him. A relationship where we can ask those questions because, you see, God, as we read through the Bible, we see a God who loves us like a perfect father who doesn't get tired of our questions and he desires to, for us to know him and to ask those questions so he can answer, he can show us who he is. And we, we see in the Gospels how Jesus came and became man. He lived just like we did. He experienced heartbreak. Jesus dealt with, with abandonment and, and, and family who didn't get what he was up to. He dealt with friends who failed him. He, he dealt with the heartache of, of, of friends who died and who suffered. Jesus understands our weakness. He understands the mess of the world that we live in. He has compassion on us. And so we can ask those questions of God. Because he's a perfect, good father who's compassionate and merciful and is full of grace. And so one thing that we can take from this book is a reminder that, that God can handle our questions and invites us into a relationship to ask those questions because God's heart breaks for those things too when we see the brokenness in our world and suffering. But so where did Jonah go wrong? Because clearly, even though he argued with God, he... As far as we can tell, he just ends on this cliffhanger of being mad at God and, and just camped out angry. You see, because Jonah knew who God was, right? Even in verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, you are compassionate and merciful. But what Jonah's problem was that he knew who God was, but he didn't like how that compassion and mercy would play out on other people. Specifically, the people Jonah didn't like. You see, Jonah tried to thwart God's plan and it didn't work. Jonah, as a prophet, grudgingly acted as the distributor of God's grace. God sent him to Nineveh, go and tell the people of Nineveh to repent, and he did, grudgingly. I guess I'll go and warn them, God's going to destroy you in 60 days, you better watch out. Right? Again, almost like he didn't want them to hear. 
But what Jonah really wanted to be is he wanted to be the distributor of God's judgment. Sure, I'll warn him, but God, can I get this front row seat to watch the destruction happen? Because these people deserve to die. So it's easy I don't know if you, if you fall in this trap. I, I often do. When I read Bible stories, especially narrative stories like this, right? When we read these stories about people in the Bible, it's easy for me to read these stories and then put myself in, especially the roles of a hero, right? You see David going up against Goliath. I'm like, man, if I was there, I would have charged right out against that giant. David grabbed those five stones and took I would have only taken one, right? Like, it's easy to just become that hero, right? <coughs> I can do it. Or... Or in the, the flip side, right? I'm, I can read myself into a story like Jonah. Here's Jonah. Man, he's a God talks to him. And what's he do? He runs away. Like If I had been there, God asked me to go, I would have marched right up to Nineveh, and I would have given it everything I got and made sure those people heard the message. Right? Do you ever do that? You read yourself into these stories? And so it's easy as we do that to look at Jonah and be like, Jonah, what's wrong with you? God's talking to you. And you're running away. God miraculously saved you by a fish. And you don't care. God turned around this whole city. And you're out here mad camping hoping for destruction. So I, I think what we've got to do though is we have to understand a little bit of Jonah. We've got, we got to try to understand Jonah's thinking. Because... I think the question we have to ask is, was, was Jonah's anger justified? Was his anger with God for not destroying Nineveh justified? Because again, as we read this story and we just look at it, a quick read, and, and Jonah feels, <laughs> he feels petty, right? He's upset about a plant. He's mad that God's not wiping out a city. Like, it just, it seems really petty. He wants to die What's up? Right? After, after all that he's been through, what's going on? He's camped on a hill hoping to see some supernatural destruction. He knew, he knew all the Bible previous to him, right? He, he knew the stories of the Exodus. He knew how, how God had wiped out Pharaoh with a flood. Maybe he was hoping that some wave is going to come crashing over and just flood Nineveh. Or maybe it was going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah and like fire is going to rain down on him. He wanted front row seats to see that. Or maybe you remember in, in the, the wilderness how there's that point where the, the ground, earth just opened up and swallowed people. I mean, he's hoping to see something cool because those people deserve to die. But why? Because it's easy to just jump on this bandwagon because when you read this story... He has no concern. It ends with this question. God's like, do you not have any concern for the 120,000 people living in this city and all the animals? And when you read that little all the animals, I don't know where your mind goes. My, my mind goes to this. Right, for those of you online, just picture the cutest little kitten and puppy. Right? And it's easy for us to just jump on this bandwagon of being like, man, like Jonah's just this like psycho who wants to see people and animals die. But again, we get to that question, was his anger justified? And, and the answer is kind of. Because there's a, there's a point, Jonah had a point. 
Because we have to understand, why, why is it that Nineveh is so bad that Jonah's mad that they get saved? Because again, this isn't just, these are just people who are outside of God's family, right? Israel was kind of like, well, God, we're special, so you're outside of that. No, Nineveh is something special. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Right now, Syria, at the time, Assyria was the dominant empire that controlled most of the known world. Everything from India all the way to the Mediterranean Sea was mostly under Assyrian control. Right? Nineveh became the capital, so the capital city. And, and if you go back in history a little bit, so Jonah's living probably 75, 80 years before Jonah's time, the Assyrians came in and conquered much of, of the northern kingdom of Israel where Jonah was from. They had come in and conquered cities and had been forced for the past 80 years or so. The, the people of Israel were forced to pay tribute to the Assyrians. So they were sending their, all their tribute of gold and silver and money to Nineveh. So this wasn't just outsiders. These were the, the outside conquering rulers who were in control. And it forced the people of Israel to live basically in, in subservient manner to the king of Nineveh and to the Assyrian Empire. And on top of all that, the Assyrians, like a lot of the empires, they were brutal, right? And if you read through history, you see these, man, when, when these kingdoms and these empires came into to being, like, they had a, a tendency just to go and wipe out other people, right? Well, Assyria did that plus some. Because Assyria made a, a special art of siege warfare and, and really psychological warfare. They wanted, to, they wanted to instill fear in everyone else. So these Syrians made, they came up with all sorts of crazy ways to torture their enemies and humiliate them. So when Assyria came in, not only would they completely often destroy a city, but they would behead all the nobles and oftentimes make people wear their heads as necklaces. And they would come up with creative ways to kill people and to make them suffer. Right? They were wicked people. Right? You look at lots of, of ancient empires. You think of Egypt and you think of archaeologists go and, and dig up the ruins and see you, you see the palaces and the artwork is all these, these beautiful images, right? Well, do you know what archaeologists have found of all the Assyrian images in their palaces? It was warfare and people being killed and slaughtered. They celebrated it. Even the writings that they found of, of the Assyrian empires and the Assyrian kings was talking about their conquests and how they destroyed and killed people. They celebrated evil. So Jonah did have a point. These people deserved to die. They were wicked. They inflicted harm and, and genocide on so many people. They deserved God's justice. They deserved the wrath of God. But what Jonah lost sight of is because of his hatred for them, he could clearly see they deserved justice. But what he failed to see is that he deserved justice. That he deserved God's wrath. Romans 3.20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we will become conscious of our sin. The law, as the Bible tells us, the law just shows us our need for a Savior because the law just points out our sin. 
None of us are perfect. None of us can keep the law. The Ninevites clearly failed the law and were deserving of God's wrath. But Jonah, in his rush to to pronounce judgment on them, just kind of overlooked his own sin. He overlooked his own need for a Savior and was just like, God, your, your wrath is deserved on them. You remember back in Jonah chapter 2 and he's stuck in the fish and he's praying. He, need, he recognized, God, I need saved. <laughs> Woe is me, I'm, I'm dead. And yet now he's forgotten that again in his rush to pronounce judgment. So before we, we follow this where we need to go, I, I think we need to pause and I, I need to ask you a question. It's a question I had to ask myself this week, and it's a question I don't, I don't look forward to asking you, but I think we need to ask it. And the question is this, who, who is your Nineveh? Who is Nineveh to you? Right For Jonah, here are the people. These people have so clearly defied God. These people have so clearly fallen short of God's standard that they deserve the wrath of God. God, take them out. God, punish them. God, they don't need to hear the good news that you have, you have provided a way out. God, you have, you have provided rescue, but they don't need to hear about it. Who is that to you? And maybe you don't go as far as being like, God, please wipe them out right now. But maybe you have that feeling like, God, don't ask me to tell them the good news. God, don't ask me to show the hope of the gospel with them. Because I don't want them to hear it. Maybe it's, maybe it's an individual. <laughs> maybe when I say that, you're thinking of someone. Or maybe it's a people group. I know at times in my life as I wrestled with this question, there have been times where I'm like, you know what? Anybody who votes differently than me, God, it would be so much easier if you just got rid of them. Right? If everybody just agreed with me, it would be awesome. Right? So God, I, I don't want to share with them. I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want them to be part of your kingdom. God, just the people I like. All right, who, who is that for you? I, I challenge you to wrestle with that question. And think about it. I, I know in, in my own walk with Jesus, there have been times where, where God just like called me to the fire over those things. Like, hey, you're, you, you think you're so great. <laughs> and those people don't deserve my mercy and compassion. And I've had to ask God to soften my heart and to change my heart. So I'd challenge you with that this week. How can God soften your heart towards people who aren't like you or who don't think like you or who you can clearly see their faults? May we be people who recognize our own need for a Savior. So aside from somebody with a a bad attitude who may be slightly justified, what's the book of Jonah about? And and here's here's where I've come to land this week as I've been just reading over this again and again, is this, that the book of Jonah isn't, clearly isn't an example for us to follow, right? Jonah's not a role model. Don't, Don't be like Jonah. Although many of us have tried at times, probably in different ways, to ignore God or, or thwart his plan or pouted when we didn't get our way. But this story is so much more about us getting a glimpse of God's heart for us. 
Because you see, what did God want from the people of Nineveh? What did, what did God want from Jonah? And more importantly, what, is, what does God want from us? You see, the, the quick and not quite right answer is obedience. God wanted obedience. He wanted the people of Nineveh. They got it right. He wanted them to repent and turn from their evil ways, and they did in, in an incredible fashion. Jonah came around, right? Didn't at first, but then when God got his attention, he obeyed. He followed through, and you read chapter 3, and there's great results. But it has to be more than obedience, you see, that's what chapter 4 is really all about. Because if it was about obedience, God getting compliance, then we're done in chapter 3. Jonah complied. He obeyed. The people of Nineveh responded and obeyed. Everything's good. But God's not satisfied with just obedience. He's not about compliance. He's, he's, he's working on something much bigger. And, and just look at how he moves this story along through these chapters. Right, God, God sends Jonah, and when he runs away, God sends a storm that gets their attention. The sailors repent. They, they recognize God. They, they ask for mercy. And Jonah, when they toss him overboard, what does God do? God provides a fish. And then Jonah goes off to Nineveh, and he obeys. And now in chapter 4, when he's camped out waiting for the apocalypse, what does God do? God provides a plant. He provides a leafy plant to give him protection and relief. And Jonah's happy. It's the only time Jonah's happy in the whole story is with his shady plant. But what's God do? Then God provides a worm that overnight destroys the plant and it dies and Jonah gets upset. And so what does God do? God provides a scorching east wind. And Jonah's miserable. Now, what's God? God's not just providing to get Jonah to comply. God is providing all these things because he's trying to capture Jonah's heart. He's trying to get Jonah's attention, get Jonah's heart. God wants our hearts. With Jonah, God wanted a heart that not only desired justice, but a heart that marveled at his mercy and compassion on his enemies. God wants a heart that admits our own need for justice. And a heart that upon receiving mercy surrenders fully to his Savior. That's what God is after. You see, we started the book and see Jonah running from God. And then he turns and he runs with God. But ultimately, God's desire is to have, for us to have a heart that's so completely transformed by grace that everything is changed. And that's why we talk about Jonah is this idea of running to grace. That's what God is calling us to, that, that our hearts are completely transformed by grace. That it changes our outlook and it changes our obedience and it changes the way we interact with others. Because like Nineveh, and like Jonah, we are people who deserve the wrath and justice of God. All have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. But the good news of the Bible is, is this, but God, who is rich in mercy and compassion, 
You see, Jonah almost got it right in in his prayer in in verses 2 and 3. He said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Like, I know that about you, God. But Jonah's response then was, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You see, God wants our hearts, and so we, we want to have hearts that are so fully caught up in understanding the mercy and grace of God that our prayer maybe becomes something like this. Lord, I know that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So God, I give you my life. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God wants our hearts. He doesn't just want compliance. He doesn't want just obedience. He wants hearts that are fully surrendered to him, that we can ask him those tough questions. God, what are you up to? God, I don't understand what you're up to, but, but God, you have been so gracious to me. God, give me the ability to extend that grace to others. God, you've rescued me. Cause me to have a heart that longs for others to experience the same rescuing that I have experienced. God, capture my heart. Help me to understand your ways, because I don't. Give me a desire to honor you and obey you with everything that I have because I fail. God, I'm a sinner deserving of your wrath. But thank you for your grace. Would you pray with me? Father God, we we marvel at your goodness. And as we, as we see the story of Jonah, as we see his, his failure to understand, his, his wrestling with you, God, we, we thank you that, that we, can, we can ask you those hard questions. We can, we can struggle to understand, and yet in that, you, you desire for us to know you. God, we thank you that it's not just about obedience, because if it was about obedience, we've all screwed up. None of of us have it all together. We're we're all sinners who are in need of a Savior. And so, God, we thank you that that you chose to rescue us. That you stepped into our world, into our mess. That you took on flesh. You experienced all the hurt. You experienced all the pain and the suffering that we do. And yet you did it perfectly. And you willingly went to the cross for us to provide us the hope (laughs) that we need that all the wrath that we deserved, you took upon yourself and you bore our sin. So Jesus, we worship you today.